I'm delighted to be joined today by a friend of the UK column from uh, several previous broadcasts, uh, John William Noble. Uh, John is the uh, John William is the, the pastor of uh, Grace Baptist Church in Aberdeen, uh, but also director of Melville Knox School, and it's the schooling aspects that we're going to be concentrating on today. Um, so where I'd like to start, uh, John William, is we have in the UK, we have a state-supplied education system, supplied free at the point of use, um, paid for out of general taxation. And uh, you have uh, recently formed uh, an independent school that's saying, yes, I, I, I see the state system and I realise it's free at the point of use and I realise I'm already paying through my taxation for this system. Actually, I don't want it. I want to be left alone. I want to do something else. This suggests that there's a major problem that you see with the state system. I wonder, could we start there? Could we start with the nature of the problem that you've, you've perceived that's prompted you to, uh, in, to, to, to do the, the, the radical step of uh, providing a completely alternative provision to the one that uh, you already pay for through your tax? So I would probably start with a, a brief testimony of when I moved, moved up to Aberdeen three and a half years ago, because this then leads into much of what I've since researched, both about not only where we are today with the state education system in Scotland, but also considering how we've got to this stage, which I think is an important link in this chain, particularly for Christians, the church, and people generally in Scotland. So when my wife and I moved up to Aberdeen and we began the church in this city, one of the big questions that we had was with regards to our then two-year-old son, what about his education? So we'd obviously had some initial thoughts about, would there be any notion that we might consider sending our son into state education? And we were very clear, unanimously so, that this could never possibly be a remote consideration as an option for us as a Christian father and mother with regards to our conscience before God and his word and also because of the state of education. So this led me to begin the exploration of setting up a Christian school and it's taken me into so many avenues. Can I just I just want to want to dig a little bit on that. You so you you viewed state education as simply beyond the pale. You viewed it as something that was so contrary to you, you and your wife's Christian worldview as to be something that you you couldn't even contemplate. Now, the, the what 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 were you seeing that made you come to that conclusion? Yes, I mean, the, the, the immediate situation was that we've now got a, a state education system where at, the, at the, the grassroots from the government, from the Education Scotland Department, whichever angle that you look at it from individual schools, where they're doing things that go directly against the fundamental basics of what the Bible says, of what I would argue it means to be 
a human being made in God's image, male and female. I think in terms of their their definitions and moral compass, which is one that promotes issues such as equality, is done on the premise of one that is actually based on rebellion against its foundation. And I suppose this is where it's it it's quite critical that I actually just dig back even a few hundred years ago just to consider how we got to this stage because it's important for people because I as I speak to usually Christian families and just people generally in the UK there is a, a, an increasing feeling of discontent an increasing feeling of well we're not quite sure why things are being done the way that they're being done but not many people dig in to consider what the role of education is, what the role of parents are, what the role of the government is, these sorts of things. So if you can think about certain spheres of uh, kind of influence and authority, so we recognize that, that the government has a, a an area of authority over people in terms of uh, introducing laws and as a means of keeping 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 people safe and so on and so forth with regards to upholding those laws if we consider also the role of the church which is important in our heritage and also the role of, of fathers and mothers in terms of their responsibility to raise their children this is something that centuries ago when the reformation came and the protestant church began in scotland we we saw at that point the the country was built upon a heritage where they recognized the absolute authority of the creator God of the Bible. And this was something that the, the state, as well as obviously the, the church, saw as being central for their understanding of absolute truth. And this was also an important thing when it came to the topic of education. So for many centuries, it was the responsibility of churches. It was initially the state church, which aimed to set up schools in every parish as a means of aiming to educate children to support the the calling and role of fathers and mothers in raising their children and there was for example one of many uh, a recognition even of the difference of what it means to be male and female and how that was applied in society and it wasn't really until we got to the 19th century that in the western world questions started to be asked and secular educational reforms started to come into thinking so one of a number of names that could be considered and people could look look these names up but for example there was a an educational reformer by the name of Horace Mann and he was arguing for the the common learning experience of all children with their peer groups deeming that parents were not competent to teach their children and that it would be better to introduce paid professionals to do the job of parents. So you'll 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 kind of note this as as you go along in any area, education being one of them. That when new reforms are being introduced, they're always being introduced with a positive spin. So this is being seen as something good. Hey, parents. Hey, families. Why don't we introduce something that will be better for your family? something that will be better for your children they can learn together we can get professionals we can train them now considering the good and bad of that at that point one of the the, the underlying questions then is well what, what's your your kind of moral foundation and framework and who ultimately has the authority here because consider those spheres you've got the state you've got family and also the church so 
in Scotland, what happens in the 19th century, we get to something which is called the Education Act 1872, where the state churches hand over the schools to the state. So they now have the, the responsibility, the, the jurisdiction over the schools. Now, any secular article you'll read about that, they'll be hailing that as such a momentous step forward in education in Scotland. For example, the emphasis on equality between boys and girls. Now note, note this, it, it, to the point of, well, it's good that girls can get an equal education to boys. Now, in many ways, that's a good thing, girls being educated. But if we consider where we are here in 2023, where state education is, it's good just to have, have in the back of your mind how these steps can lead to something that is far from ideal. In fact, I would wholeheartedly argue now is wicked. So we, we've got these educational reforms coming in, but even leading into the 20th century in a nation like Scotland with our heritage, with our legislation, there is still certainly an underlying foundation of our absolute truth is that we, we are a country that recognizes and acknowledges that there is a creator God. We see the Bible being the, the, the book of the land. And this is something that even though the state has an increasing level of power or influence, the schools still are operating in the context of a more general overview, but still a, a Christian country. Well, then, this, as is, we... this, is a, this is an interesting point because we, we see this in a whole range of areas because the state comes in and it takes over something. We've, we've seen it, for example, with the NHS, very top, topical today as well. Yeah. Um, it takes over the existing system and it says, don't worry, we're, we're, going to, we're just going to improve it. We're going to make it more efficient, fairer, whatever the, the, the selling points are. And it takes over something that's functioning. And for at least a generation thereafter, it continues to function pretty well because the attitudes and ideas that permeate the system are the attitudes and ideas that were inherited from the, from the system that predated the state. And it's only after a generation or several generations that things start to change fundamentally. So the state doesn't come in and immediately ruin things. The state comes in and then there's this slow process where eventually the leaders in, in, in the system, the leaders, the leaders in the institutions, um, when they reach retirement and the next generation come in, or the generation after that, so that the people who've had no contact with, this, with the system as it was, they start to come in, they've been through a completely different education system themselves. They've been through, um, in, in the case of schools, teacher training colleges, which have, again, their own, their own viewpoints and agendas, and they start to come in and, and you start to hear things about radical change, you, you, transformation. And and all of a sudden things are being are having to be having to be taken apart and reassembled, and all of a sudden we've got problems. And and the 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 decay, if that's what it seems to be, the this the strange inertia that build, builds up because it's it the system becomes less and less able to do the thing it was set up to do, be it heal the sick or be it educate the young. The, 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 there seems to be a falling away in the ability of the system to actually deliver. So all of these things happen. Now, just, just you, you, you 
mentioned the sort of the history of Scottish education there briefly, and and this is a fascinating subject because the the history is yes the the, the church was leading things. Um, the church, as I understand it, had a viewpoint that everyone in Scotland should be able to read well enough to be able to read the Bible and interpret it clearly and accurately for themselves. So they were building in a certain amount of intellectual independence into everybody in the country as a kind of um, um, first principles approach to what they were there to do. There was then this century-long struggle. It involved the universities, it involved the schools um, to uh, solve the problems of Scottish education. There was multiple royal commissions of inquiry and 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 it was always viewed that the Scottish education system was somehow broken and needing fixed, needing fixed by state intervention. And and this was resisted. And at the same time, through the 1900s, there was a strange intellectual battle going on, particularly in the universities, between um, what was termed the evangelical party, right? people who would put God at the top of their hierarchy and work from there, and, and a more... Uh, what, what they termed themselves the moderate party, who didn't. So there was an intellectual struggle going on inside Scotland, and there was an attack on the Scottish education system, for, largely from outside, from influences from England, from Germany, from elsewhere. And this pressure built up until around about the latter part of the 19th century, things started to break, things started to be changed, and when we came into the 20th century, we had a very different system. One with a history of huge success, but one which had actually been fundamentally altered in ways which were not really appreciated at the time, I think. Is that, is that a, would you say that's a fair overview? Yeah, I mean, it, I, it, I think it's good to can concisely go through these struggles within the education system. I think that's really really important to point out and also to consider out with that what was being brought into this kind of struggle as it was unfolding in the 19th and then into the 20th century where we've got increasing waves of for example humanism and scientific discoveries with men such as David Hume and Charles Darwin being hailed as as, as making great strides of progress in these areas and where we then have these, let's say, theories being brought, these alternative worldviews, then it starts to create a, a greater degree of confusion about what's the foundation of what you appeal to on an area such as education. And I think as the, the struggle, even on an academic level, as to, well, even who should have the, the, the kind of authority within education, these kind of wider moral and, let's say, religious discussions are also need to be identified because as we get as we get into the 20th century and as things become rapidly more secular in the second half of the 20th century what was a country that was grounded in christian values and a worldview soon becomes post-christian and where you've got now generations rising up that are more nominal in their christian faith in the latter stages of the 20th century now many people would say well it's good that society is progressing and that education is progressing. And a big focus, they would use words like, uh, well, this is about equality for all. This is about multiculturalism, something that we want to embrace, these types of things. 
But a key question that I think all of the listeners and everyone in our country needs to be asking is, who actually defines these things? Because this is what the, the state have assumed on areas such as education, health service, certainly, though that's another topic, and a number of other areas where they've assumed a role of authority, which certainly contradicts what the Bible says. But even for, for listeners who, who would say that they're not religious, a big question then has to come, well, are, are we, even though we wouldn't maybe think or articulate like this, are we now seeing the state in a godlike figure status where they are our protectors, they are our providers? Is that what we're saying with regards to our families? Is that what we're saying with an area of education? Because that's the direction that we've gone in in recent decades, and that's what's been shaping our education. And as we can clearly see in our current government is an absolute classic example of this in the Western world, the, the, this is a government which quite literally hates God and the very truths and foundations of God's word. And that's expressed in no uncertain terms with the applications of increasing legislation that they're trying to drive through. Yeah, I mean, we've covered, we've covered some of this. Well, actually, we've only scratched the surface on the UK column covering some of the legislation that's coming through in, in particularly the Scottish Parliament, uh, which is um, so openly hostile to, uh, to, to any sort of faith, of, I think, in general, but specifically to Christianity, um, as to almost defy belief. And there is a tendency to try and pathologise Christian belief. Um, and this is, this is done subtly. Um, but consistently, uh, the idea of, for example, homophobia, right, was was an, an overt attempt to pathologize Christian belief because you're phobic. You you have a, a mental illness if you don't have a particular worldview. Um, th th this this attempt to paint uh, Christianity as the as the extreme, as as threatening, as um, uh, hostile to the thriving of people seems to be a, 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 a theme that comes forward very, very strongly from the government. Now, the degree to which that's reflected in schools is still patchy. It depends very much on the head teacher. Um, but more and more with curricular uh, innovations, including health, well, Health and well-being is the subject area, but it, it gets into sex education in ways which uh, many are feeling is just just blatant grooming of children, uh, sexualization of children, and destroying any any sense of um, what you would term Christian virtue or virtue even from any of any of the major religions. I mean, the, the, to, to destroy any idea of of uh, a, a virtuous life as being de desirable or, or 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 better in any way seems to be one of the agendas. So yes, there's a lot of um, very concerning developments. People are reacting to the Glasgow taxi driver campaign against the sex education uh, elements in the current curriculum being one of them. The idea that um, the state is a substitute god, I thought we saw that very clearly during the COVID times, uh, that, yeah. that what we had there was a substitute religion. We had to um, uh, 
uh, we had to be subjugated to the word of authority. The word of authority was from the state. The state would protect us from harm. The state would protect us from death. The state would save us. Uh, but if you were speaking out against this, you were a heretic uh, and you were to be crushed one way or another. And the, the, the overtly substitute religious aspects of that were, I think, quite blatant at, at times. Um, so to, to move on a little bit from that, the state is moving in. The state is expanding its, its role, expanding its authority. Um, one of the aspects that, that quickly comes under pressure is the role of the parents, the mother and the father, um, and, the, and, the, and the relationship between the mother and the father and the children. Now, we had the, the attempt to put the name person in above the parents uh, to supervise and direct and intervene when they felt a gut feel that something might be needed in the future. It was a very strange scheme. It was eventually um, thrown out in the Supreme Court, but it was an attempt to get in and, and inter interrupt that relationship. And we see it from the UN levels all the way down through the, the rights, the human rights agenda, that um, the role, the particular role that Christianity gives to parents, honor thy father and thy mother being in the Ten Commandments, is being eroded and changed in lots of subtle ways where the parents become um, almost just agents of the state. Right? We, will, we will allow, the state will allow them to be parents, but only if they parent in the appropriate and de designated ways, because the child, well, what, the child belongs to the state? That almost seems to be the way it's going. It, 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 is, are, these, are these areas that you've um, been tackling? So, unfor unfortunately, one of the things that needs to be identified, as well as the wicked trajectory that the state has moved in, there also needs to be a recognition of where the church has completely dropped the ball here, where the church lost her voice in recent decades, at least, with regards to speaking upon what is our foundational truth, the word of God. Uh, just, just to very quickly identify, I, I mean, just from the scriptures, it is very clear and explicit through the Old Testament and the New Testament that the commands with regards to responsibility before the Lord for raising children is with fathers and mothers. So just a couple of verses in scripture, Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction or admonition of the Lord. There's also Deuteronomy 6 with regards to loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might, and that these are to be taught diligently to their children. So, and there's many other scripture verses that can be referred to. So we have very clearly the, the commands being given in the Bible with regards to how children are to be raised. And that's a sphere of authority that fathers and mothers have been given by God. So this is our heritage in this nation. Now, some people today may may say, well, I maybe I'm not sure if I believe in God or my, my, my religious foundation is uncertain. So first question I would obviously raise on with regards to the state is, well, would you say it is the state's responsibility? 
because the state has very much in a country like Scotland and COVID's a classic example where we've seen them assume and submerge these other spheres of authority, both church and family. And in both ways within that, the church has by and large willingly given that up. And even families, including families within the church, are either willingly giving it up or they're seeking state approval to do what God calls them to do. So th 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 this is a massive, a massive problem that we've got here. And it's why even what we've been trying to do in setting up a school and with regards to issues such as home education, this really feels like it's not that we're doing something new that hasn't been done before, but it feels like it really is starting at the grassroots again. And that's because we, as the church, as families, have allowed the state to get to the stage where they have this level of authority, where we are now answerable to the state for how we are doing things. There is no longer that concept of being answerable to God. And that's your foundational problem that we're now in here. And I mean, I, if, if, if I can, I mean, I could unpack how the church has allowed this to to happen in recent decades and where the church is today because it's very relevant to the the, the Christian education situation and just secular education yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would like you to explore that a bit more, yes, because the on the on your website for um, for the Melville Knox School, um, you're talking about a war, right? The, you're talking about being in a conflict. And the state's on one side, and essentially the Lord's on the other. And, and, and you're teaching the children in one way, and they're teaching the children in a, in a quite different way. Um, now, that's a very, that's a very crucial point. Right? It's, a, it's a point that, that I fundamentally agree with, and, and more and more as I think about these things, I'm becoming more and more convinced that this is the case, that the state is is not in any way working to the best interest of the people. They're not working uh, with the interests of the people at heart, and they're certainly not working in a way that is recognisably Christian in any way. And then you start to dig about what they are, what the what the underlying belief systems actually are, and start to um, to to piece these together. And you go back through Marx and Darwin and, 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 and into 19th and 18th century philosophers, and you get to some very strange and interesting places. And it becomes very clear that what's been taught is a religion, it's just not Christianity. So it's not, the, the, the term secular would imply that they're not teaching anything or they're not, they're not making any statements or decisions and they're very neutral on systems of belief. But I don't think that's the case. They're not in any way neutral on systems of belief and haven't been for decades. They're very much pushing a particular system of belief. It just doesn't happen to be Christianity. And it doesn't happen to be discussed openly in the political realm or anywhere else. And this is where uh, the churches need to be speaking out and by and large haven't been. So yes, please. Um, Give us more detail on that. So the, 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 this is where I, I, I'll start to share things that, again, they're, they're governed by what is in the Bible that not only would be deemed controversial by many in the 
secular world of our country, but even sadly, many within the church. So if I can just kind of walk through a, a hypothetical scenario with the average Christian family, and this will knock down a lot of the pins to understand what where we're at. So we're, we're, we're in a stage now in, in our land where the average family, let's say, and certainly we can include Christian family, there's now an assumed practice where a wife will, or, or, or partner in, in many cases, they, they'll, 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 they'll get pregnant and they'll have their maternity leave. Sometimes that's now shared with, with the man. And then after that period of time, nine months usually, then it's looking for a suitable nursery, something that's going to be you know, of a decent quality as they would define it to send their children over to so that the, the focus can be on the, the parents to be able to kind of have their, have their careers and, and, and this would be the focus. So you've obviously already got a, a system in place where, where, where parents are assuming that, well, we need to hand our children over to someone else other than ourselves. Now, in the scriptures, there's not anything that explicitly says that women can't be in paid employment. They certainly can be, but at the expense of being especially a wife and mother, this is where we get into controversial ground, but there is clarity. And this is where, when it comes to the issue of defining what it means to be male and female, there are distinct differences in roles from God's creation. And this is something that the church has completely lost sight of. We've embraced narratives that have come from secular thinking. And so by the time you've got children aged four or five in the average Christian family, well, if, of course, you're going to send your, your child off into a state primary school. Now, what, what does a state primary school look like? Well, we've got science, which is not falsifiable facts. We're dealing with that which cannot be disputed. So the notion of God creating the world in six days, as an example, would be preposterous. Uh, preposterous. And where the notion of a boy being a boy and a girl being a girl is no longer something that would be seen as common sense. It's now something that's questioned. There's a, a direction of what is nothing other than sexual perversion, which is absolutely infiltrating from age four where we're also seeing a narrative with regards to the role of the parents being questioned. So did the mum, did the dad really say this? Here's an alternative. Here's where we as the education establishment can care for your rights. Uh, I've been even hearing that without the parents' knowledge, there are UK government officials coming into primary schools to teach, I think it is life skills for 90 minutes to two hours week by week. So that's something worth digging into. So there's there's very much a moral emphasis being driven in the school context. And bear in mind, let's say with Christian families, they're sending their children into this environment. So you've got maybe what, six, seven hours of Monday through to Friday where this is a, a main driving influence of children in how their worldview is being shaped. Now, from a biblical standpoint, that is in direct contradiction to the calling of fathers and mothers raising their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And unfortunately, the fathers and mothers are too busy with focusing on their careers. There's, uh, they're looking to someone else, the education establishment, to teach their children. So. They, they don't dedicate the time to even unteach what's being taught, let alone teach what is 
biblically right and honoring before the Lord. So by the time you've got children getting to the teenage years, of course, if you get a grunt out of them, then that's seen as a success in today's day and age. And the reason is because children's hearts have not been won by the parents because they're they're absent from their lives and their upbringing. And the church has willingly let this happen. And then by the time children are further into their kind of young adult stage, any any thought or connection with, let's say, Christianity is totally disconnected because their worldview has not been shaped by that. And, the, and Christian parents are going to their church leaders crying, saying, what's happening to my children? This is what's happening to your children. And so the church has got to take a massive responsibility for where we've got to, because we, we, we have allowed the state to take this authority. And we've not even questioned the, the, the alternative options by and large. And this is why attempts to start up a Christian school in Aberdeen and home education, even within the, the evangelical churches, such things are either ignored or at times they're even laughed off. And it's, it, it's, just, it, it's just inconceivable when you actually seek to read and apply what the Bible says. We had uh, a, a wonderful cartoon we showed on the column a while back from Bob Moran and uh, the, the, the mothers in the house and the little, little school child comes back, little short person uh, with a big jacket and a big satchel. And the mother says, well, what did you learn at school today? And, and, and the little lad just vomits on the floor and it's a rainbow colored vomit. And, and <laughs> that is, I thought that actually summed it up quite well. You've got indoctrination. Um, and I, I, I've been digging quite a lot recently into, uh, in, into the ideological background of what's driving this. And it is absolutely a religion. Um, and it goes into areas of, of, of cultural Marxism and, um, and, and, and critical theory and all of these sorts of ideas. But it's, it's religious in its, in its ethos. And it's always focused against Christianity. It's always opposed to Christianity. The churches have not been pushing back. They've not been opposing these ideas. They've not done the hard yards to find out and understand what these ideas are or where they come from. Or they've not been willing to criticise them, or they've not been willing to stand up against them. I see um, on uh, the Melville Knox School's website, you've got a, a, a summary, um, and it, it says that the, the war extends to education because there's a total antithesis between what the state does and what we should be doing. Um, and the first bullet point is we teach different religions. Ours is Christianity, while theirs is humanism. We glorify God and need deify man. Now, this is exactly what I've discovered as I've gone into the roots of this, that you've got this religion, it's called Marxism. It's various names at various times, but it's, it, 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 a lot of it comes sort of through that particular channel. And it is a religion. And who is the God of that religion? The God is man. You, you, the, the perfectibility of man. We're going to keep destroying society because eventually you will be as gods. Eventually perfection will, will emerge. And um, the, the, ultimate, the ultimate end point is God is, God is man. That's, that's the underlying ethos. And it comes from very ancient ideas, your know, Gnosticism and what have you. I mean, these are not new ideas by any stretch of the imagination. 
But certainly for the last 200 years, they've been galloping forward. Um, so what's the position now with regards to churches? Are you starting to see there's, there is a bit more fight? Are people starting to talk about this more? Or is it still very... Uh, um, is it still only the outliers, the remnant, if you will, that are that are having these conversations and thinking these thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'll 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 come to that 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 point in just a second. I, I think I think I just want to kind of come back to something in terms of uh, a point you were raising with regards to the kind of cultural Marxism and how how such things like the the, the LGBT and indoctrination can come in because. If we think, let's say, even 20 years ago, or you go 50 years ago, uh, and consider where we are here in 2023, could you just suddenly jump into where we're at now with regards to the way we define boys and girls? Well, well no, you have to make certain steps along the way. And one of the ways by which this is, is definitely achieved is by r removing definitions or changing definitions so that your moral framework and allow for certain things to 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 be to be able to take place. So take for example, where all of these different legislations in the direction we've gone in, there's a there's an overarching attempt where I would say there's a, a spiritual and demonic realm where there's an attack to get at children, uh, the next generation. So take the abor abortion industry. How do we manage to justify the, the the slaughter of the unborn? Well, we we need to try to redefine what a child is in the womb and we can also put a positive spin on it say this is about the mother's rights and this is actually health care so we see that the, the way in which this is actually spun similarly with regards to the lgbt indoctrination we have to start by identifying this blanket term equality which is obviously not defined by by the Bible. So what's it defined by now? Well, we could say it's defined by the state. So if you take away a, a moral foundation, a, a scientific foundation of what being a male and female is, then you can start to redefine your terms. Similarly, we see this with, with, with marriage in more recent years and so on. And so this is the way by which, as the Scottish government have said they will do in different areas, they drive public opinion and drive the indoctrination within these environments and we see this very much in state education and this now comes to the actual question that, you, that you've asked regarding the church so what what has the church done well the first problem that we've got with the church now is that they've not actually stopped to to admit yes we, we've messed up here we should have been on this decades ago we should have been picking up where the state was gaining ground that they were not entitled to in areas such as the church, which is a slightly separate but still connected issue, and with the family. So there, there, we've lost a, a theology of repentance and practical application where even in our state schools, children are being focused on, well, these are your rights. And if anyone, including your parents, are going against this, then this is something that you don't have to put up with. But the Bible obviously is teaching something else. The man is not the, the, the kind of ultimate standard or name. No, it's actually God and we're not right with this God. This is why we need to repent and believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And yet all of this worldview is now being, being shifted. And 
when it comes to the, the church now in terms of addressing this, the, there is a, I mean, within the evangelical church, there would be a general sense of being disgruntled by the Scottish government, or the Scottish government is not good. And even identifying, well, yes, we know state education is not the best. But in terms of actually boldly speaking out against this and boldly speaking up for biblical truth and then trying to make strides into something of an alternative or something which is biblically right, the church is by and large utterly silent right now. And I could go on to unpack how we set up our school and just the absence of any sort of feedback, response or support that we've had from churches in this area in Scotland. Yeah, the, the, uh, it, I'm very interested in what the process has been like for setting up the school. But just before we get there, um, uh, on the subject of equality, uh, this was a subject of a speech I did uh, at Queen's Ferry. At Queen's Ferry, because I was meant to do it outside the Parliament at Holyrood, and I very nearly got arrested. Uh, this was at the height of COVID, and for some reason that the police had decided to have a crackdown that particular day. Um, so the Queen's Ferry speech is on the uh, UK column website, and it's about the subject of equality. And the conclusion that I reached is, not only are we not equal, we certainly don't want to be. Um, that's not the nature of of being um, human, and it's not the nature. It's not in anyone's interest to have this falsehood um, enforced on us. Um, so. Uh, just before we go on to the sort of background of the you know the the the, the process of, of setting up the school, I just want to go through uh, quickly your main points about the school that's on your website. I said firstly you teach different religions. Now I was very impressed by that because to realise that the state is teaching a religion is actually quite rare. Not many people have actually appreciated that that's what it is. Um, the next thing he says, you, we differ on the goal of education. We believe that the, the end of education is godliness. They believe the end of education is to be successful in this life and to be a good citizen. Um, next one is, we differ on what is to be taught. We say all things from a Christian perspective. They see all things in the vacuum of a meaningless world without God. And then you've got, we have different view of who is to be taught. They believe the child is inherently good and the education and the right environment will set him on the right way. We believe the child is created in the image of God but fallen with Adam and needs to be restored by God's grace in Christ. We have different uh, sociology, pedagogy, psychology and ethics. We teach biblical ethics of what God says is right and wrong. They teach pagan godless ethics and steep the children in complete relativism. Um, numbing the conscience of the clear teaching of God's word. We have a different view of the world. We believe in the creation of the world by an infinite personal God and the government of all things by his providence. They reject creation and view the world as a closed system governed ultimately, uh, if not, uh, if at all, uh, by chance events. Right, so th this is, this struck me as a very interesting summary because you're taking the very big picture there. What is the world? What is humanity? Uh, what is our history? What are our aims? What are our objectives? And 
you're you're spelling them out. Um, when we go to the state system, they're not actually spelled out. They're taken as kind of, well, everybody knows that, dot, dot, dot. Everybody knows that the Earth is 4.3 billion years old, for example. Notwithstanding any of the evidence that says otherwise, right? And, and the evidence that says otherwise is never discussed because it's what's being taught is not science. It's what's being taught as a religion. It's a faith. It's just been not being admitted that that's what it is. Um, the the nature of humanity, the nature of the world, the, these are the things that we do want our children to have a model of. We want them to have an understanding of the world. One of the um, one of the people I follow in education terms, sadly now now deceased just a few years ago, um, was a wonderful American educator. Uh, called John Taylor Gatto, and he did a study of the successful schools in America, the very high-priced private schools that, that, that generated a huge number of the leaders of America, and he found patterns in what that they taught, and one of them was this understanding, an understanding, a model of, of what a human being was. And, and you're getting, you're, you're looking at a much more biblical model than they were teaching, but you're looking at a biblical model of what a human being is. And one of the things that's very much lacking in, in contemporary education and, and produces this kind of deadening effect is there's no discussion about what we are. There's no discussion about the assumptions that are being placed on our children and what they really mean and what they do to their hearts, what they do to their view of each other, what they do to the view of the world. And we're seeing um, huge amounts of psychological problems, child suicide, um, very problematic behavior, using drugs, uh, promiscuity, all sorts of things. And the state response to this is, oh, well, we're going to do harm reduction. We're going to, we're going to teach them about sex. Um, so that they can have sex from a young age, but, but do it without harm. And we're going to teach them about drugs, so they, they'll want people to identify which sort of drugs they want to take, and they'll do it without harm. It's all about harm reduction. It's not about getting to the core problem, because they're not dealing with why the children doing this. It's because of how they see themselves. It's because of how they see the world. It's because of their entire worldview. So it's very encouraging that, that your school is tackling that issue. Um, so just before we go to some of the other aspects of what it was like to set it up, um, could you say a little bit more about the, the ethos of the school that, 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 that I've outlined in, in that quote there? Yeah. So uh, one, one, of the, one of the quotes that's actually in that website, so it's a Presbyterian minister of the 19th century, and this really taps into the points you've just been raising there, David, which is really helpful. So, so he, this quote says, education is the nurture and development of the whole man for this proper end, that that end must be conceived rightly in order to understand the process, and even man's earthly end is predominantly moral. 
And this is obviously driven by a worldview of an absolute truth of the creator God and his word, that man's chief end is the glory of God. And we're obviously very clear in the education establishment of the Melville Knox Christian schools about this is what we would be investing in our children, learning about and how their worldview is being shaped. The problem that we have in state education is that they also have very clear objectives, very much like a religion, but they are deceptive about that. So the way in which the state education would communicate, and it sounds appealing and much better because this is supposedly not indoctrination where they say, well, we want to have an open and inclusive education for all. So whatever worldview you have, if you're religious, that's great. If you are trans, if you're gay, that's great. We want to include all. Now, the problems, the fundamental problems with that is, first of all, who says that we want to include all? And where do you stop? Where do you draw the line there? That's the first thing, because we know the state is defining this. And we consider, well, is the state a right moral compass by which we should get our rights and wrongs? So even if we were to say that the state is neutral, to try and go along with their terms, how are children being raised? Where is their worldview being shaped by? So let's say you have a child who's come from a Christian home, but they're coming into this environment where Christian teaching is not being, being, being taught and shaping their worldview. Now you've got a child who's growing up with confusion. So is, is, do, are my parents the ones who are responsible for raising me? Is it the state? What's my moral attitude towards sexuality? Should I be having sex? Because I'm, I'm hearing one thing, hearing another. So we're now getting an increasing mass confusion, and it certainly isn't developing the, the right moral compass because there's no absolute truth basis. And that's the way, obviously, the state wants it, because then they have a better control over people. And this is why the state fears Christianity the most, because the Christian says we have an absolute truth and authority, which is above the state, and that is God and his word. This is why even during COVID, this was the main problem. Many Christians were saying, oh, well, this isn't persecution because they're not telling us to deny Christ. Christians who said that don't understand the foundation of persecution. Persecution comes when groups and organizations like the state are being told that we as the Christians believe there is a higher power and the state cannot cope with that in modern day contexts. And this is why even when it comes to Christian education and Christian values, the state wants to define that. So if you've got liberalizing or apostate churches that will embrace some of the wicked indoctrinations, then that's the type of Christianity, that's the type of schooling that the state wants to embrace. But if you've got, like we have with Melville Knox Christian Schools, saying very clearly, no, the state is wrong, and the reason it's wrong is not because we have a better opinion, but because we have the right moral standard, which is defined by God, who is the all-knowing, all-powerful being, that's something the state cannot cope with. And that's why we are in a war here. I found that a fascinating summary, right? Firstly, that you're not afraid to call it a war, because it is. And the um, idea that um, 
you have people who are willing to take the view of onward Christian soldiers of actually having courage to stand up for their ideas and principles is somewhat rare in contemporary Scotland, so good on you for that. Um, the, the nature of the education system that cannot define the correct end is the whole thing that we want everybody. You're, you're right that, that that has a problem of limit. Does that include Satanists? Does that include, does that include practices that will um, remove, um, as some Scottish academics are now discussing, remove the concept of childhood completely? So all of the special protections that apply to children fall. Um, does that allow uh, minor attractive people to be viewed as just another, just another sexual um, um, preference? Uh, or, or, and does it allow breaking down the, the protections that were put around children vis-a-vis -vis adult sexuality further? Bear in mind we've already got a situation where the practical age of consent in Scotland is often 13, so how much more is that going to erode? So there are many things where we don't know where the lines are, right? because there doesn't seem to be any, and we don't know where the end the, the objective is because the state can't define it, or if, if it can, it won't. It won't do it publicly. It certainly can't define it uh, as, as, as you are defining it, where you've got a correct end for education, a correct end for, for, for a, a man or a woman. If, if we can move on now to the nature or the, 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 the problems you found, process you had to go through to set up a school. Um, there must have been uh, the regulatory hoops to jump through. Um, you know, how, what was that process like? How did it start? Yeah, so uh, it, in, initially, well, I mean, my, my son was, was age two, and I, I obviously, as I'd mentioned, we, we were discussing options and the, the plan was going to be that my, my my wife and I would be home educating my son, and then later my, my our daughters, as we now have. So that's something that we've done, and I can mention home education as, as we go through this process. But I did begin to increasingly rapidly see that the need to set up a school was of fundamental importance, not just for for my family as such, but just for Christian families and families in general to have. A viable option, and so the first thing that we had to be clear about, and this is what's obviously intimated on the Melville Christian Knox Schools website, is what we believe. So there's obviously you know different Christian denominations and uh, you know like some kind of different interpretations of aspects of the Bible. So uh, our church, being a confessionally reformed Baptist church. We, we met with a confessionally reformed Presbyterian church in, this, in the city that expressed an interest to have discussions about potentially setting up a school. So that was kind of our theological foundation. I had reached out to a couple of other churches, but I got ignored. So we, we, we began the process of just thinking about, well, what might it look like to start a school? So we had to earmark a building. And by God's grace, the, the building of this Reformed Presbyterian Church in an area in Aberdeen called Maastricht, they were willing to allow us to use their building. So that was certainly a, a significant practical blessing. 
we established our board and our partnership with Melville Knox. So there, there was quite a lot of encouraging momentum. And, and these would be steps that I would encourage as a kind of blueprint for setting up other Christian schools. Obviously, some of the bigger questions would be the, the, the interest and involvement of parents, the employment of a teacher, and if we want to be registered with Education Scotland. Now, on, on that last point, the, the being registered with Education Scotland, to, to make it clear, we, we don't, according to God's word, need state approval to, to set up educational establishments. But at the same time, we are still living in a country in Scotland that has a strong Christian legislation and heritage, even though we've abandoned that today. So while we still legally can, I believe this is part of the fight towards getting as strong a base as possible if one day the state comes in even more heavy-handedly to the point where Christian schools are no longer viable and we're rapidly heading in that trajectory. So we did go through the application for uh, an Education Scotland approval and one of the good things I would say is that because of their drive to be inclusive, they don't ask some of the specific questions in terms of what we're teaching. There's more of a, an emphasis of the kind of broad general teaching focus. What would we be dealing with? So by and large, there's a, a an ability for a faith-based school with such, I would argue, biblical clarity to still function as a state-approved school. So there's obviously that tension, which will be an increasing one. And we went through that process, which it took longer than it should have done, but that wasn't really because of Education Scotland. It was more because the process was hit with all of these COVID restrictions because we started this in 2019 and we were planning to have a parent, a parent information event literally on March of 2020, and that got shelved with all of the COVID thing unfolding. So it wasn't until later in the year before we were able to start gauging parental interest. Now, this is where it gets really interesting in terms of the testimony of the Aberdeen School. And this is where I would want to challenge even the listeners. I, I was increasingly sure, and in my naivety as it's turned out, that the timing with regards to setting up a school was ideal for parents being desperate to enroll their children in this school. Now, there were two main reasons why I thought the timing was ideal. And I've even heard uh, some contemporaries in, in America saying that this was why they had increasing enrollments in their Christian schools. Number one, because of the, the, the rapid driving forward of this LGBT indoctrination and some of the other wicked things coming into the schools. And number two, because of these lockdowns and because parents were being asked to home educate effectively for a period or asked to use the resources being given by the schools, parents were actually seeing more explicitly than they ever had done in the past few years what they were, their children were being taught. So I was under the assumption that, okay, well, at least some of the Christians that have thought through things biblically, they're just going to be crying out for this. I was assuming we would have a waiting list because our initial maximum number with the building we were going to be using would be 15. And we did get quite a number of interested parents, many saying they would enroll their children, they would like to enroll their children, all of these sorts of things. So we were thinking, okay, well, that's sort, that's great. 
So when we get to this year and we manage to employ a teacher and we get the infrastructure put together, we do get the approval from Education Scotland and we're ready to launch. I, sh I should say that we're in 2023 last year. By the time we're ready to launch at the end of 2022, we're now at the process in the process of now telling all of these parents and advertising, right, the school's going to be opening. Now's your chance to enroll your children. And on the date that we began the school, which was in at the start of November, there were two children enrolled, one of which was my son. The other one was from our church. And that's it. Now, this is the key thing. This is the key thing that I would challenge and exhort Christians and even just people generally in, in, in our country. If we see that there is an issue, and clearly there is with state education, and if alternatives are being, being set up like a Christian school here in Aberdeen, then it is, there's a duty, there's a responsibility to act. Not everyone's going to be setting up schools, but surely if there is that option, there needs to be a drive forward to at the very least seeing, well, this is going to be better for my children. And yet there seems to be more of an, a caution and an uncertainty about, well, let's maybe wait to see how this school goes, as if the alternative of keeping our children in state schools is something that's going to be good and beneficial for their upbringing. And that's the sad reality. This is where the church is at. And how many church leaders have been in contact about this school being set up in the city? None. Still today, I have had silence from church leaders. So, so you're setting up a Christian school and none of the Christian leaders, apart from the two churches that are behind this, are willing to even well, inquire, discuss, let alone advertise, let alone advocate. Okay. Um, that is disappointing. I, I, I find this difficult, this kind of strange acquiescence, strange surrender amongst our people, amongst the Scots in particular, it seems, to everything that's being done to them. Um, I see people who are um, not being well served by, for example, the, the health service, but wouldn't dream of finding another route because we, we follow authority, we do what we're told, that's what the government says, that's what's there, and it's the right thing to do, because we've been told over and over and over, this is the right thing, the NHS is a substitute religion, we must believe in it, it's the right thing to do, so we must do it. And there's this intellectual cravenness that I find really massively irritating, that they won't ask the questions and they won't follow through with the answers. If the state is corrupting the children, if the state is, is taking sexual information that is entirely inappropriate and forcing it on three, four, five-year-olds to confuse them or having the effect of confusing them, whatever the aim is, the effect is to confuse them. If they are taking eight, nine, ten-year-olds and, and basically giving them instruction on how to have sex and sexualizing children too, you know, too early. And we can see that that's harmful. It's harmful to the child. It's going to be potentially disastrous, depending on what they do with the information. Potentially disastrous. And we see some of the disasters. We see 
um, we, we see the, um, some of the, some of the position that women find themselves in, you know, get to, um, you know, late twenties and they start thinking, well, where are all the good men? Because they have, they've been living a, a, a lifestyle that, that good men won't want for their entire twenties. And then they get to 30 and they start, well, well, well where's my life go from here? And it's a it's a sad situation to see. We see um, the the some of the horrendous examples of um, of, of the transgender um, effects, where the, uh, where teenagers who are confused about about what they are and who they are, which is called being a teenager, uh, they they are sucked into a system that medicates them and then. And then mutilates them, and then they get to their mid twenties and they realise that what they needed was someone to talk to. They're now going to court to try and get compensation, but you can't really compensate that. The damage is permanent. You know, so we we can see this. People can see this, but they don't seem to take the next step, which is that's wrong. It's been done by the state. Therefore, we need an alternative. They, that, that, that's the point they don't seem to cross. It's been done, it's been done by the state. So what we're going to do is we're going to whine and complain to the state to see if we can change their minds. Right, in the belief that the state will turn around and say, oh, sorry, our mistake, yeah, oh, that's harmful, we're not going to do that anymore, we see what you mean. Right? That's not going to happen. The direction of travel is only one direction, only goes left. So the, the, the people can see the problem. But they can't cross the line. And they can't cross the line and say, well, we need an alternative. We don't want that. And, and it's a puzzle to me to why they can't cross that line. Is it because it's a, it's a faith, it's a religion thing? And that to cross that line means abandoning their faith in the state. And they don't want to do it. Too frightening. Is it because it's simply an obedience line and they've been trained? Is it because they don't have the education? They don't have the kind of self-awareness to say, I'm, I'm going to navigate my way through this life. I've got, a, I, I've got a working model for what the world is and what people are. And I, I understand concepts like, like, like sin and, and the effect it has and the negative effect it has. And I, I'm, I'm going to take decisions that are going to be to the as far as I can do, the, the best benefit to me and those around me. And I'm willing to take risks and take stands on, on principles to achieve that. If they don't have the world view to say, I've got something I'm standing on here that I believe to be true, they, they, does that mean that they can't resist the pull of the state? I'm not sure what it is, but there's something that means when they get to the point, they say, yes, the state's doing harm, it's attacking our children, it's entirely, it's entirely negative, it shouldn't be doing that. They then can't cross the line to say, well, we'll get rid of them, we'll do it ourselves. There's a, there's a, a weakness, uh, a lack of ambition, a lack of courage about it that I find really frustrating and I really don't know why, why it exists. Maybe you could suggest a few reasons, Sir William. 
if if you can picture with with the the, the church, like let's say uh, a, a cancer coming into a, a church fellowship. So as it as it comes, you, you you need to cut that out quickly before it starts to spread. So this is the impact of 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 secular thinking. This is the impact of the state submerging the church family, and this is where the church failed to cut that out. This is something that has infiltrated the church. We don't simply have state thinking where maybe there's some scientific things that are slightly questioning aspects of scripture. It's now submerged attitudes of, for example, the role of woman, how children are to be raised, science and, and, and many other things. And this is why the church and Christians are in confusion that there's a there's a clear way in scripture as to how children are to be raised so that even in their teenage years and uh, growing up they should be clear i'm i'm a boy this is what it means to grow up and be raised to be a man who lives in the fear of god instead we have within the church let alone the state the effeminizing of men we have therefore a, a vacancy because men are not taking it and Often girls are being raised to take that place because men don't have it. So there's a there's a mass confusion. So the church has allowed this confusion to the point where, okay, well, state thinks, let's take this to the next stage. We're not really sure about what male and female is, and maybe that's a good thing. Let's start redefining what these things are. And the church is left scratching its head thinking, well, hang on a second. The Bible says God created um, uh, man, male and female, but the church can't define now or apply what that looks like. And this is what the church needs to be addressing, not simply identifying that LGBT is wrong. We obviously know that, but we need to go back to, from the scriptures, what does it mean to be male and female? That's where the church needs to identify these things and very clearly identifying where the state has submerged church and family and other areas like health service, another example where as human beings, we've been made to, to, to submit to authority structures. The problem is we've got a misplaced emphasis of the role of the state's authority, and the church has to push back on this. Again, COVID made it very clear with the church compliance to state regulations where they were defining how and why and when and where we worship God, which is utterly absurd, but that's another example of where the church is at and the misplaced authority that the state has. And these are the things that needs to be targeted. And this is why when I consider the spiritual warfare and the extent of the problem that needs to be addressed, this could be all of my lifetime and beyond as this structure of trying to fight, fight back against this is being established in this country because we're right at the beginning here and very few within the church are interested in even acknowledging the need to have this fight. Um. One of the, the the school that you've you've got is called uh, Melville North Christian School, and there's one in I see in, in Glasgow as well. Now I came across that under its former name, which was Sunrise, I think. Um, and I came across it several years ago, and I remember looking at the curriculum, and I thought, "Wow, this is fantastic!" Because it, it was it was aimed at, the bit I was looking at was essentially aimed at teenagers. And it was like, if you sat down and say, right, the state's going to, is going to um, basically get a hold of our kids in university and they're going to um, corrupt them. What do we need to teach them to make them uncorruptible, incorruptible when they get to university? And it's like someone had done that 
and they, they were teaching, I don't know if they still are, but they were teaching essentially apologetics. They were teaching um, uh, origin, of, uh, origin of life information and uh, origin of the, of the earth, of, of, of the physical um, universe information, which was to prevent Christianity being flanked with the um, billions of years evolutionist narrative. Essentially, they were teaching them what's wrong with that narrative. Now, there's many, many things wrong with that narrative. Um, the, 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 the mainstream model of how the universe is formed is, is falling apart just in its own terms because it doesn't make sense. Um, so it's certainly something that can be criticised and people can be armed with information. And this is, this is the issue, my, my people perish for lack of knowledge. This is the issue where we need to have information circulating that allows people to push back because we've not got to this stage where the churches are subservient to the state and everyone's subservient to the state. We've not got there overnight. We've got there with 200 years of error piled upon error. And we've got there with um, so many wrong things being believed to be true that you end up with a worldview that doesn't give you the basis to resist, doesn't give you the basis to push back, doesn't give you the basis to think differently because people are overwhelmed, intellectually overwhelmed by the 200 years of error. And it's when you start to pick apart the error and you start to say, well, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Demonstrably, factually, incorrect. These things that you have been told are lies. Then people, at least some people, will start to say, okay, I'm listening. Tell me, tell me some truth. Um, it, and this, a lot of this gets down to mistakes that were led by Scots. We started off talking about 19th century Scotland. Um, where did Darwin get his ideas from? Well, Lyle. Where did he get his ideas? And Lyle was Scottish. And where did he get his ideas from? Well, Hutton, the father of geology. And his basic idea was the present is the key to the past. Uniformitarian, uniform, uniformitarianism. Is that right? Um, where every process, every geological process historically is based on what we see happening now. And with no, with no reason to think it was any different in the past. Right? That is now, in mainstream geology, falling apart because it doesn't tally with the geological record. Not even close, not even slightly. And, and we're seeing secular geologists turn around and say, yeah, actually, what we have in the past is a catastrophe, catastrophism, not uniform, anything but uniform. So we see that the basic underpinnings of these things are wrong, but they've been accepted for 200 years. There's an awful lot of books that tell you about them. And they have implications. They have, they have spiritual implications. They have implications on what your worldview is, how you see the world, how you see other people. Um, and to get at the kind of core of these errors and start to pick away at them is, is something that we need to be doing. We need to be forming institutions that, that are prepared to do the hard yards intellectually 
to show that there's another way forward. There's another way of, of understanding the world around you. It's not superstitious. It's not unscientific. It simply sees things from a different perspective and assembles the, 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 the data that's available uh, and shows that that perspective is valid, is reasonable, is accurate, is precise, is rational, and is coherent. And you've then got something to fight back with because you've then got two competing systems. And we can say, okay, which one's coherent? And all of a sudden you find that the mainstream view isn't. Right? It's demonstrably false. You can prove it's an error quite easily. And this allows people to start to push back. There is no shortcut to this. People have to be able to do the hard intellectual work. They need to found the institutions. They need to found the schools, the colleges, this, the learned societies. And this is an area that we've not been doing. The other side have been. If you look at the number of think tanks and study groups, a lot of them state-funded, incidentally, who are putting forward vast amounts of um, allegedly scientific work to push their agenda. Now, the scientific work is of woeful quality. We've seen, um, to, sh to illustrate this, this point, there was a program some gallant American chaps put in entirely fraudulent papers. And they got them accepted, they passed peer reviewed, they got them published. These were, these were significant pieces of scientific research. And they just made it up. It was complete rubbish. And they made it up to show that anything can get the, the stamp of scientific approval. It doesn't need to be real. And that the um, scientific mainstream is so devoid of any foundation, any um, any, any, any grasp of reality now that it will essentially believe anything that goes along with its agenda, it goes along with its belief system. It's become a religion, not anything that's scientific. This shows the problem, but also the opportunity. But we need to be building institutions to take advantage of this. Um, and we're not, with a few noticeable examples, we're not, and we need to be, and we need to be able to come together and, um, and work together to put forward the, a different worldview was that I think what you're doing is very important. Um, I know you're starting small in Aberdeen, and I, I, I hope you have every success with it, but is, is the, the, the school in Glasgow also... Is it, is it um, putting forward uh, the, the sort of uh, teaching that, that I described, that I spotted all those years ago on, on its website? Is that still the, the line that they're equipping um, yeah. children from Christian families with the information they need in order to defend themselves intellectually in a world that has basically turned itself over to error and evil? Yeah, so the the Glasgow School were were a, a very good model for us beginning in Aberdeen because they've obviously been a few years ahead putting some of the infrastructure together, but also to see that this was actually what was being implemented and how it was growing and how how they now have a now have a waiting list for 
pupils being enrolled. So, and they're now looking to discuss establishing a secondary school, which is encouraging. I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I actually heard uh, one of the men involved in that those those papers, James Lindsay, speaking about the putting those false papers together. And it's been interesting hearing him and a number of others who previously might have professed to being atheists and having no kind of religious background and how looking into some of these kind of ideologies and some of the wicked narratives as they've unfolded, it has brought them more to considering and looking into a, a worldview shaped by the belief in God and, and the Bible. And I think that the, this, this foundation, this distinction between the two systems to stress what it is that we're seeking to do in, in establishing Christian schools. And also, I would wholeheartedly endorse the importance of home education as well, is it's not that we're offering a, a new system. In the context of our present times, it may feel like that even within the church, but we're looking to what we believe has been revealed by God and his word. This is our absolute truth foundation. So, for example, in, in my household and in these Christian schools, one of the things we'd be doing, it's called catechizing our children, which is basically a series of questions and answers about the, the, the teachings of the Bible. So one of the first questions is, who made you? And the answer would be, God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. And this is a means of shaping a worldview, shaping the moral compass of children as they're being raised with a worldview that, as, as you identified from what's in the website, we 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 as human beings we were made in god's image but we've rebelled against our creator we're we're sinners before this god so it's identifying there is a problem a problem with our state there is a problem with people even families and churches and this is why our need is christ and we're raising our children to to know and understand the the truth of the gospel that christ came to die for sinners and this is why we need to repent and believe in christ as our lord and savior and when we have this unshakable, unbreakable worldview based upon lives that are being changed by a belief in Christ. This is something that even though it seems as though the state is winning, and even though it seems as though the church has lost its voice, we know from the Bible that Christ is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The, the enemy, the evil one, has been doing a lot in societies like ours to crush biblical worldviews and values even from within the church but this is why i can sleep easy at night and why i'll i'll i will do all that i can limited very much though i am and even though the resources are so small to contribute to that which is the victory in christ and this is something that christians need to stand on yes we we could feel fearful that oh it's going to cost me more uh, people might laugh at me saying oh a faith-based school is indoctrination which increasingly sounds absurd when you consider the indoctrination in state education and all of these things. I mean, th this is where we're at, but this is the way Christians are still thinking. And we need to kind of push, push past this and understand that we're not looking to reinvent the wheel. We're looking at what we believe to be true, what Christians have stood on, what those who came before us in this land, the covenanters, the Protestant Reformation, we see Christians were suffering, some bled, they died to uphold and to push forward Christian freedoms, religious liberty, and it's something the church has given up, and we need to be fighting to get that back. This, this is where there was structure and order in society that made sense. Now it doesn't, and we've got a government that are, are embracing chaos, and they want to drive that forward in our education system. 
they're, they're, I mean, there's a, a blatant play on destroying education, destroying the health service, and, well, we, we're to blame. The parents are to blame for children's education. Oh, the patients are to blame. They need to protect the NHS. These types of narratives, they make no sense. But we're in a context of, of, of utter chaos. And what we're appealing to here is an absolute truth foundation, a belief in what God has revealed to be right and true, that we're made to worship and glorify him. And the church, first of all, needs to establish clearly her voice based on the Bible and drive forward by taking that action. We need to take that action. And if more and more Christians are active in enrolling their children into such schools, getting such schools set up, taking their children out of schools, home educating, this is going to be a means by which our culture will be impacted positively and in a means by which God will be honoured. Because right now, the church is simply embracing the wickedness of the state. And that is absolutely shocking. Yes, it is. Uh, John Williams, thank you very much for that. I, I very much agree with that. I, I'm working on a, an article on Romans 13 and why we shouldn't obey the state. And uh, for research, I, I went to have a look and see what the Church of Scotland was saying about it. And I found a paper and they were quoting The Guardian uh, with more prominence and uh, greater affection than they were qu quoting scripture. It was. Um, a sight to behold. Uh, but uh, changes there, uh, changes at this, in the level of belief and theology are fundamental, fundamental to a people and fundamental to a society. And every bit of pushing back, every bit of uh, uh, providing information and knowledge to the people uh, will help. And, and I still have not only faith um, in Christ, but I have an affection and a and a um, a warmth towards my own people around about me, um, and there's a, there is a decency in them, and there is an ability when finally, finally, um, uh, roused to do the right thing, they have the ability to do it and do it on mass. We have seen this before in this land. And uh, I hope we'll see it again. Um, I want to thank you very much for your time today. It's been lovely talking to you. Uh, and I hope we can come back and uh, pick these themes up uh, later on and explore them in some more depth. Till then, John William, thank you very much.